Hello and welcome into another edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe Network. I'm Ross Geiger. Thanks for tuning in to episode number seven. Alongside me here today are my co-hosts, Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. Guys, how are we doing tonight? Doing good. I'm in Delray Beach, Florida. I was in the hot tub this afternoon and uh, uh, life is grand. Everything's great down here. I'm also in Florida, but this is... Uh... This is the uh, great time of the year right now. we got a lot, a lot of great moments going on in the NBA. I'd love to hear it, yes. And uh, since our last taping on Monday night, it seems like just in the three days since we've last talked, uh, it's been like two weeks worth of uh, notables going around the league. Lots of uh, late-game action, high-scoring outages from stars, and uh, definitely want to get right into that with you guys here tonight. Um you know, Bruce, who, who, who's the guy that's caught in your eye uh, during the scoring spree? Well, I mean, Donovan Spider-Mitchell has truly put up one of the most historic games in NBA history uh, on Monday night against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, uh, the numbers are astounding. The impact is impressive. Here's a few things I'll just throw out. I'm not going to empty my whole bag because we'll bounce some around on this, but uh, 71 points. 58 in regulation, 13 in overtime, 24 points in the third quarter. He had 11 assists for a total of 28 points. Six of his assists were for threes, okay? Eight rebounds, 20 out of 25 from the line, 22 out of 34 from the floor, seven out of 15 on threes. And he intentionally missed a free throw, got the rebound and scored to send the game to overtime. It's like... He accounted for 99 points in that game, which only Will Chamberlain's 100-point game has one player accounted for more points in a single game. I think by any calculation, you'd have to say this is one of the top five single-game performances ever. I mean, what do you guys think? I I couldn't agree more. It's, it's another example of what an amazing offensive season we're having in this league. Uh, I believe he is, since Wilt Chamberlain, I believe he is the third player to score 70 or more in a game, in a win, joining Kobe and David Robinson. I believe it's, I may have missed one, but I think it's just those three. Um, he's just, he's having an amazing season. We talked about off air. He's He and uh, Garland have combined. They're probably the best backcourt in the East. I can't think of a better one. Uh, and it just seems like every, as you mentioned, Russ, every night it's something else with some player going crazy. I think we've had five 50 point games, five different players go for 50 in the last two weeks. That's yep. amazing. Yeah, it's been truly incredible uh, the last couple of nights getting some special performances. And, you know, Bruce, there's something really unique about just all these purposely missed free throws leading to wins, whether it means extending the game, going to overtime, or just flat-out winning the game. Luca did it in his historic performance. Now Donovan does it. Who's going to be next? I feel like it's becoming a sight to see around the league, and it's something that should be like a very small percentage success rate, but those two guys seem to have mastered it in the biggest moment. Did you bring that up just to make Michael Freer, the Knicks fan, feel bad? Because he's <laughs> he's taking it with good humor. Look at him. He's got a big smile on his face. I think he's because enough every, Everything comes back to the Knicks. <laughs> Donovan Mitchell doing so well comes back to the Knicks because they wouldn't trade for him in the offseason. 
you know, Luka Doncic, you know, goes for <laughs> 60, 20, 10. It all comes against the Knicks. It all comes back to the Knicks. We know that. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, uh, just a couple more things, because I know you guys each have a game uh, performance that you want to get to, but I just uh, wanted to hit a couple more quick points on this. Number one, he's only the seventh person ever to score 70 in an NBA game. Wilt did it six times, okay? <laughs> Wilt, Kobe, Elgin Baylor, David Thompson, David Robinson, and Devin Booker, okay? No other player has scored 70 with 10 rebounds. And that includes Wilt, okay? Which, if you think about that, that's pretty remarkable. Um, highest single-game point total in Cavaliers history, eclipsing LeBron and, and Kyrie, who each had 57. And Cleveland never led that game in regulation. The only time they made a tie was after he missed the free throw on purpose and got the putback with just literally at the final buzzer. So that game was one for the ages. And and I know you guys remember after the show was over, I saw the game, I saw the box score. I said, because you know I'm a big Darius Garland fan. I love him. Okay. Yep. And so I'm like, oh wow, look at all these point totals. I wonder what Darius Garland did. <laughs> and we look at it, it's like, well, you know, Donovan Mitchell had 71 points and Darius Garland <laughs> DNP. So um what can I say? You know, mad props to Donovan Mitchell. And, uh, you know, then he shot like 30% from the floor in his <laughs> next game, which was a loss. Yeah. Going back to Garland being out that game, it looks like Spida made up for his fair share of points and just decided to go ahead and contribute for the both of them. Uh, heck of a game there. Uh, next game I want to get to going from 71 is 55. That happened in Milwaukee against the Wizards, and it's Giannis Adetokounmpo, two-time MVP. He had a career-high 55 points and uh, became the first Bucks player to score 55 since the legendary performance of rookie Brandon Jennings dropping 55 points in his seventh career game. Uh, believe it or not, Jennings' 55 point was slightly more efficient than uh, Giannis's, which is Quite surprising because efficiency is not a way that you typically describe Brandon Jennings' game. <laughs> that will not be on his tombstone. <laughs> yeah, efficiency. but 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 he just edged him out by like a percentage point from the field to have a more efficient fifty-five point night. And boy, I watched that one. It was a joy to watch as a huge Greek freak fan. And uh, you know, Giannis made Kristaps Porzingis look like he was playing dummy defense out there. He was just destroying him quarter by quarter. And uh, what Giannis is really doing right now that I've really taken notice of the last couple of games is in his last four, uh, four games alone, he shot 75 free throws. The guy is taking his free throw attempts to the next level. And to be quite honest with you guys, getting to the line at that high of a frequency should help the Bucks survive in games when they're without Chris Middleton and or Drew Holiday. Um, you know, for one, you know, getting to the line – gets those opposing defenders in foul trouble. But for two, it allows them to set up their defense a little bit more than having to, you know, play back and forth. So uh, hopefully Giannis can continue to dominate, get to the foul line. I think it's putting his bucks in a position to be successful while the perimeter shooting is struggling and Chris and Drew Holiday are out. Um, but in, in that game, he had a, a game seven free throw per performance. He went 15 to 16 for the line on his way to 55 points. And, uh, Truly an incredible night for, for Giannis and the Bucs. Do uh, you guys have any thoughts on that one? My thought on Giannis is that 
he's become so routinely awesome that it's almost getting a little bit boring. I mean, look, on Wednesday night, he had 30, 21, and 10 in that game that the Bucks had the big lead and went to OT and then pulled out in overtime. So it's like when he doesn't have 30 points, it's like, gee, what's wrong with him? You know, and yeah. and he is capable of what you described what he did on Monday night, Michael. You know, players like this, as you mentioned, you, you almost wait to see how are they going to one-up their best performance. It's getting to that point. Luca is like that. Giannis is like that. You know, you wait and see what – basically, it's what can they do next? What can – you know, wow me. You know, 55, you know, 30 and 20 the next game. It's amazing stuff. And you start thinking, like, what can they – what can they do? This is – I don't want to say it's routine because it's amazing, but it's just every night it's something else from either of these two players, really. Yeah, and going back to that uh, game in Toronto last night, uh, quite the ending there, as you alluded to there, Bruce. Bucks were up 16 with a minute 50 to go. Raptors full court pressed, made some stops, made a ton of shots, and ended up extending that game to overtime, but the Bucks were able to come out on top uh, in the end. So Toronto loses another uh, home one in, in a game that, you know, urgency is now not on their side. They need to start it, winning some games. Wasn't it an 11 point lead with about 20 something seconds to go for Toronto? And they ended up blowing that or darn Milwaukee or whatever. Yeah. They end up and, blowing that. It was like 11 yep. points with less than 30 seconds to go. That's, that's incredible. <laughs> that, yeah. That's incredible. More than maybe more than all these great performances. How do you do that? How do you blow a lead? You know what I didn't understand about the end of that game? When Gary Trent and they were moving the ball around to try and get that tying three, why don't teams just foul on the floor? I mean, they had ample opportunities. Put them on the line. All right, if he makes the first one and intentionally misses the second one, okay, if, if, if they beat you doing that or they tie you up doing that, then, you know, you tip your hat to them. But I just think that that's kind of a poor strategic job by their coaching staff there. Or I, I never understand not fouling in that situation when you're up three. I, I never, I don't understand why you wouldn't do it. I just, I agree. It's it burns you. I guarantee you, without knowing the numbers, I guarantee you it burns you more often not fouling than if you foul and paint the scenario you just painted. It's yep. just, there's absolutely no way that other yeah. scenario burns you. Yeah. More so we often. had that we had that late game excitement in that one. Uh, of course, uh, the the Kings going ahead and facing the Jazz in Utah. That one came down to uh, De'Aaron Fox with 0.4 seconds left, laying in a, a layup, and then a football pass down the down the field. I want to say almost to the, down the court to. Um, Lori Marketing, he threw one up, almost got it off in time. It was taken back, and Warriors hung on to, or the, the Kings held on to that one. And then last night, of course, we had uh, the one in Golden State. It looked like uh, Detroit had like a seven second inbound play. Sadiq Bey hit a uh, last second shot with just a second remaining to go ahead and win that one. And that leads me to my next guy, Clay Thompson. We definitely can't leave him out. 54 points against the Atlanta Hawks in their home game before that. Um, quite exceptional. That one went to overtime. Clay was phenomenal with Curry out again. And uh, what did you guys see from Clay kind of going 
back to his Splash Brother days of being in his prime. Well, he's, he uh, was not lacking for shots on this night. 39, tied the NBA season high. He had 21 three-point attempts, which is the NBA season high. So he was. it was all handed off to him. It was good to see him do it because we've been waiting really since he came back last season to – he shows flashes of of that style. He's just he's becoming just a really just a three point specialist at this point. He's he takes he's got a career high fifty eight percent of his attempts are threes right now, and almost sixty percent of his scoring comes from three pointers. That's the highest both are the highest percentage of his career. It's oh we've always loved his game being a long range shooter, but this. You know, he, that's really what he's becoming right now. And so it was nice to see that he actually, you know, 10 of 21 in that 54-point game and then 30 the, the following game, although he was just 3 of 10 on threes the next night, uh, next game. So I like seeing Clay go at it. Um, he's the second oldest player with a 50-point game this year behind uh, his teammate Steph at 34. Clay is 32, so – He's got that going for him, I guess. Uh, but it was good to see him doing well. He's really playing well overall. His last five games, almost 34 a night. So he, it was good to see him get that guy break out, Clay. Since he returned last year, he has had some Clay Tom- Thompson moments. Uh, he, he had a few of them during the NBA Finals, as I recall. Um, <laughs> but they say when you have the kind of devastating injuries that he's had, it really takes you more than a year to get back to being who you were before. So I think we're seeing that he's getting closer and closer to that. And, you know, while we've all sort of like made fun of Golden State this year and how they've sort of been dismal on the road, although they lost a home game last night, as you mentioned a moment ago. Uh, uh, thank you, Sadiq Bey. Um, all they got to do is make the playoffs because once they're in there, they're going to be the Warriors again, and they won't have home court advantage. But as the great coach Avery Johnson told me one time, home court advantage really is overrated. If you're a better team, you should win the series in six games, and then you don't – there is no home court advantage. So that was his take on it, and he's a pretty smart guy. Yeah, you win one of those first two games on the road, and uh, home court advantage essentially switches the other way. So I totally agree with Coach Johnson there, and – think that's a good way of looking at it. Another one I like as far as quotes with playoff series is uh, the series really doesn't start until the home team loses. So if the Warriors are able to beat the home team, the series has started and now they've swung momentum. So great point there, Bruce. Haven't Uh, they won like a thousand series in a row where they won at least one game on the road, right? Didn't I remember that stat from that? They always win a road game in every playoff series they've played since they became the Warriors back in the 2015 playoffs. Yeah, and it's, it's imperative to do that uh, in, in playoff series, and you got to give you some wiggle room at home um, if the, the road team comes in and gets sneaks out a win. So incredible performances. Shout out to Donovan Mitchell, 71, Giannis, 55, and Clay 54, all coming in wins for their teams. Um, big night for, for all of those guys in the last couple of days. Let's go ahead and get right into our second quarter. Uh, currently, we we have about eight title contenders playing at um, six, 62% win, win percentage, ball or better. And of those teams, we've got the Celtics, the Bucks, the Nets, Nuggets, 
Grizzlies, Cavs, Pelicans, Sixers. Of those eight guys, who do you like to kind of uh, be in title contention as of now? Well, you know, Boston's hit a rough spell lately, although they still have the best overall record and the best road record. And uh, as we're recording this, they're in the process of beating down the Dallas Mavericks are up by 24 points after three quarters uh, as we tape on Thursday night. Um, I still like them. They still have the dynamic duo of, of JT and JB combining for 58 points a game, and they do have a pretty deep bench. So I still like them, but I had to bump them down to number three in my power rankings the other day uh, because of the way that Brooklyn has been playing and the way that Denver just demolished them uh, last time they played. So, um, but to me, I always, you know, for, for a number of years, it always felt like there was like two or three teams that could win the championship. Now there's eight. And if you throw golden state in there, you could even say nine. Yeah. Great point. Will be. I think, I think uh, if you're looking, you know, when you break these teams down that we were talking about the eight teams that are real you know, far and above the rest and win percentage, you know, if you're looking for balance, you got Boston, Brooklyn, and New Orleans as the only teams who rank in the top 10 in offense and defensive efficiency. So, you know, you got those uh, those teams to consider. Everybody's got, you know, things to to uh, shout out about, you know, the, to uh, the positives or whatever. You know, and they also, a lot of them have flaws. I mean, the, the Grizzlies, uh, I don't know what to make of them if they can't shoot. They're they're not a good shooting team. They're bottom ten in uh, effective field goal percentage. How, how's that going to work out in the playoffs if you can't make shots? You know, in Brooklyn, you know, I talked about them in the previous podcast about how I thought they were the number two team or whatever. I'm still waiting. You know, I want to make sure their D holds up for an entire season. That's their bugaboo on them since they you know went to this group, and there, so there's a lot of teams that you know. Um, for me, it's I want to see. We know these teams can score. We know most of these teams can score. That are contenders, who can play the defense? Because here's the stat: over the last 26 seasons, only one team has won an NBA title when the defense that ranked 20th or worse in efficiency. And that goes back to the 2000-2001 Lakers. They were 22nd in efficiency defensively, and they won the title. Nobody else has been able to do it over the last 26 seasons. Now, nobody is really in that mix yet, although, you know, Milwaukee is um, way down there. And so is uh, uh, who? Oh, so is uh, Denver. So the two of them. Denver is the one that's really down. Milwaukee's good. Milwaukee's got offensive issues, excuse me. But Denver, that we touted on on Monday or on Tuesday, excuse me, is really uh, a struggle defensively. So I'm waiting to see who steps up defensively and puts themselves ahead of the mix. Just to just to reinforce what you said, and I know Rush, you want to hop in here. Denver is number twenty sixth in the NBA in opponent field goal percentage. Opponents shoot forty eight point six percent from the floor against them, which is not a championship number. No, not at all. And I was going to focus more so on Cleveland. You know, they've piqued my interest here recently. Uh, if they're able to get those bigs healthy and Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, get some experience in the playoffs, and then rely upon Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, as you mentioned, I too believe that's the best backcourt in the Eastern Conference. 
if you got the guard play and you got the bigs, I, I don't see why you can't go deep. They're they're scary to me this year, especially with the leap Donovan Mitchell's made and the seamless transition he's made to that Cavalier organization. Um, and and I, I do think their general manager, Colby Altman, might make a move. Uh, might be a, a small one, but they do need to upgrade that small forward position. You can't have uh, Lamar Stevens and Dean Wade be your – or even Isaac Okoro being your starting three. But I could see them possibly making a, a minor move to kind of get a veteran into that spot that can be a three – uh, a three and D type guy hang out in the corner and, and be effective for those ball handlers and, and those rollers uh, that they have there in Cleveland. So I, I'm keeping an eye on the Cavs. Altman should be thinking about Jay Crowder. Don't you think? Yeah. A one-time Cavalier. He was there with uh, LeBron, I believe, or maybe it was, was it right after LeBron? I'm, I'm kind of uh, blanking, but he was a one-time Cavalier. So he's familiar with that organization. By you the know, way, they're just, they're just outside. Being, they're just outside being one of those teams in, in the top 10 in both offense and defense. They're number 11 in offense, and they have three guys this year that have scored, you know, 40-plus, uh, I believe, in, in um, along with uh, – or 50-plus, excuse me, along with Garland and Mitchell. Karis LeVert has a 50-point game. So, they're you know, they have the op- people capable of putting in the, the points, you know, ball in the bucket along with their number one defense. You know, Michael, you were talking about Memphis, how they're not really a, a good shooting team, but but somehow, you know, they're right there. They are the number one defensive team when it comes to opposing field goal percentage, 44.2%, which is best in the NBA. They're also um, way up there in um, rebound differential, plus 5.6, trailing only Milwaukee. Milwaukee's the best in rebound differential. And uh, uh, Memphis allow is is only number seven in points allowed but again it, the, the points allowed isn't necessarily the most measure the, the best measure of of defense i mean we, Mem- we've memphis talked about is, that before they're one of my favorite teams to watch because just as we said they can't shoot the ball we talked about it before so how do they get their points how are they so efficient because they're in the top five in second chance points they're in the top five in, or top 10 in fast break points they're in the top they're number one in points in the paint. They just they do it other ways. I love watching that team because they, they can't shoot the ball, as we said, but they still put the ball in the basket. You know, it's funny. Of the top eight teams that we've talked about here, four of them are 500 and, or better on the road, and four of them are below 500 on the road. Uh, the, the, the team and, and, you know, I'm like a broken record when it comes to, you know, road record as one of my measuring sticks for how championship worthy a team is Memphis is below 500 on the road. So is Cleveland. So is new Orleans. So is Philly, Boston, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, and Denver are all 500 or better on the road. So, uh, a lot of the things I'm seeing are, are making me think we're let's not go to sleep on Milwaukee. I really don't think, you know, they haven't been whole this year. They haven't had their group together. Uh, as Ross pointed out recently, they, they haven't had a chance to integrate Joe Ingles into the mix as of yet. So once Milwaukee gets healthy, I would say we, we all have to keep our eye on them. Absolutely. But, glad to hear you're optimistic on the Bucks, Bruce. I know that's tough for you to do as a Celtic fan, but. <laughs> I'm just a fan. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, by the way, we almost halfway through the season, we talked about all these teams, a bunch of them in the West, didn't mention the Suns, 
Didn't mention the Warriors. Didn't mention the Clippers. Yeah. With all the star power on all these teams. And really, you wouldn't consider – of those three, I would, at this point, maybe the Warriors, but I would consider the Clippers just because of their defensive ability. Their offense is, is horrible, but their defense can really shut you down. And if they ever get healthy and get everybody together, they got enough shooters that maybe they can just score enough to get through. But it's amazing. We've talked about all these teams, Memphis, New Orleans, Denver, all these contenders. None of those three really would you would have to consider a contender at this point. You're right about the Clippers. And and I, as I was looking up, uh, talking about Phoenix, since Chris Paul has returned, uh, they're only 4-11. and 11. You would think that his return would have sparked them to, you know, some better results. Obviously, there's other things going on there. Not okay. blaming Chris Paul for that, of course. But um, it's not like he was the panacea for them. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to go to Devin Booker being out as well with the hamstring injury. Cameron Payne, their backup mm-hmm. point guard that plays a ton of minutes given Chris Paul rest, has been out. Um, so they've been trying to look at their Cam options. Johnson. Cam Johnson, another guy, and then, of course, Jay Crowder. I, I, I feel like I'm hoping they trade him soon because I'm tired of having to mention him as part of the team when he's really <laughs> not a part of the team. <laughs> um, but we, we are going to be treated to a fun one tonight. You mentioned the Clippers. You mentioned the Nuggets. They face off. Uh yep. Later tonight in Denver, that should be a fun one. Um, so hopefully we'll uh, be treated to an exciting one in Ball Arena in Denver tonight. Um, nextly, I want to play a little uh, buy and sell with you guys. And I really want to imagine that you guys are in the store, maybe as a child. And uh, I'm saying, you know, you can only pick out one toy. So I'm going to give you something that you can buy. Uh, all right. If you had the choice to buy either the Cleveland Cavaliers this season or buy the New Orleans Pelicans, who are you taking? You want to go first, Michael, or should I? I don't know. I, go ahead. I would buy on the Pelicans right now. Uh, I love the Cavs. It's not, you know, I have to choose one. Uh, and the reason is this, really. They're doing their top 10, like I mentioned, in both offensive and defensive efficiency. Obviously, I also mentioned the Cavs are just outside that group. They've had their big three together on the court. Brandon Ingram, Zion, and CJ McCollum for 10 games. I mean, that's it for a whole year. They are where they are with those guys on the court together for just 10 games. They're only six and four when they all play together. So, you know, it hasn't exactly – been laid out for them, but if they can get healthy in that conference, the way with those those big name teams we just mentioned aren't really stepping up or taking the backslide. There's no reason why that team can't. Does they have the depth? If everybody's healthy, they have the depth. They have the offense, and they have the defense to really uh, not just make some damage. They can they can be the rep out of the West in the finals. Those three guys, uh, as you mentioned, you know, Ingram has had very limited, you know, games this year, but all three of those guys are averaging more than 20. Zion's yep. at 26, uh, CJ's just over 20, and Ingram's almost 21. Again, we, they need to get him healthy. And and I really think, you know, when I watch them play, one guy I've always, that kind of floats under the radar, but always seems to play well for them when I watch him anyway, is, is Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, mm-hmm. He's he's just you know he's a quality big he you know he reminds me a little bit of Nick Vucevic and that he's a veteran guy knows all the tricks isn't an all star by any means he probably averages under fifteen a game 
But, uh, you know, you know, guys like those two, Stephen Adams, you know, those guys, you know, you, you really need guys like that. I think Absolutely. Uh, on, on, on your team. Yeah. They were traded for one another. If I remember yep. correctly, it That's was right. A, That's a, right. a straight swap between Stephen Adams and Jonas Valanciunas. Well, I know I'm going to sound like I'm contradicting myself a bit, but I'm definitely going to take uh, I'm, I'm buying the, the Pelicans. I think they're the deepest team in the West. Um, I, I come playoff time. I like the feistiness of their guards, especially having, um, oh goodness, their, uh, their backup guard, Alvarado. Alvarado really gets after it, brings energy to the crowd uh, and to his team. CJ McCollum, one of the best shooters in the league when he gets going. And as you mentioned, Valanchunas, he can bang, he can step out, hit a 15-footer. Uh, Larry Nance, if he's healthy, is a very versatile 4-5 big that can match up well with other teams' uh, front court players. And then, I mean, what's there to say about Zion? If Zion's healthy, watch out. The guy can just score at will in the paint with his big body. And uh, Brandon Ingram concerns me a little with his toe, uh, toe injury, but it sounds like he is back to practicing. I just recently looked that up. And, uh, you know, hope, hopefully they can get him back. They definitely miss his length on the perimeter on both ends of the floor. But I would have to take Pelicans as well. And by the way, CJ McCollum has not had a good season so far. He's had a, right. he's had a struggle, you know, his first full season there. He, you know, we expected bigger things than what we're getting. So if he can get going the way we know he can and everybody else gets healthy, uh, and I think it's easier right now to get out of the West than it is to get out of the East to make the finals. Not to disagree with two brilliant basketball minds like yourselves, but I'm buying Cleveland, okay? Okay. Um, what, what, what I like about Cleveland is, obviously, I love their backcourt. Um, probably love Darius Garland more than I should, but that's, you know, the way it, he's Kyrie 2.0. Uh, and I love those two bigs. I love Mobley, who had the game-winning shot on Wednesday night. Uh, and I'm a big Jared Allen fan. And, uh, you know, I just feel like, you know, they're, you know, they've won eight of their last 11. Uh, the schedule's been favorable out of those last 11. Eight of them were home games. Uh, but even their three road games, they were two and one, which is a little better. They're below 500, as we said earlier. But they have their next five on the road. So we're going to see what they're made of. Their next five on the road are Denver, Phoenix, Utah, Portland, Minnesota. If they can go four and one in those five games, then I'll feel really good about them. And I think four and one is realistic against those five. Again, Denver's probably a loss, but Phoenix, Utah, Portland, and Minnesota, those are all winnable road games for Cleveland. And another thing I'd mention on uh, the Cavaliers and their backcourt is, we, you know, we failed to mention Ricky Rubio. I know he's out right now, but could he be healthy for a postseason playoff run? He might be. And if he is, we know he's got veteran experience, very good defensively, getting in the passing lanes for steals, distributing the ball uh, with assists on offense. Uh, I'd keep an eye on him. If he can get healthy, that'd be quite a nice back, uh, backup point guard for a playoff team. So Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys bought an item. All right. I let you buy a team. But in order to take that team home with you, you got to sell one. All right. And we're going to focus on two teams in the Eastern Conference. So you're looking around your closet and you got the Atlanta Hawks and you got the Toronto Raptors. What are you selling? What are you getting rid of? What team are you done with? Bruce? I'm selling Toronto. Uh, okay. Six games under 500, barely over 500 at home, five and 13 on the road. All right. 
Losers of 10 out of their last 13 games. They do have their next five at home, so they may have a chance to get close to the 500 mark again. Uh, they've gotten a great season out of Pascal Siakam, one of Ross's favorite guys. 26 points almost, over eight boards. 6.6 assists, that's a really high number for Siakam. Uh, he's got a couple of good shooters around him. You know, Ananobi, Van Vliet, and Trent are all averaging 18, between 18 and 18 and a half a game. They should be better, right? But they're horrible defensively. They're 27th in opposing field goal percentage. They're dead last in turnover differential, minus 4.6 a game. They force very few turnovers. So I am selling Toronto, uh, selling them cheap. <laughs> How about you, World B? I, I'll, sell, I'll sell the Hawks, and I'll make this about as simple as it can be. I'll say this. I'll preface this by saying it's not entirely their fault because they haven't had the lineup that they envisioned at the start of the year True. on the court very often. And when it's been in the lineup, when they have been on the court, they've been one of the better lineups out there. You know, when you have Trey Young and Murray and John Collins and uh, um, Clint Capella and then uh, uh, DeAndre Hunter, excuse me. So when you have those guys, they've had that lineup together once in the last 16 games. So it's really – that being said, maybe that's one of the reasons to sell it. But the biggest reason for me is – when your franchise player is one of the worst shooters in the league, you, you got issues. And, and that's what Trey Young is. There's just no other way to put it. He's, he does a lot of other things really well offensively, but it's just been abysmal shooting. He is right down at the bottom or near the bottom in effective field goal percentage, depending on the day. So when your franchise player is one of the league's worst shooters, you got to sell him. They have All major right. chemistry issues. They have big-time chemistry issues. The DeJounte Murray thing just has not worked out, even though he's put up good numbers. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I, I'm of the opinion that one of the reasons Trey Young is not the Trey Young we're used to seeing is because they brought this guy in who plays his position, more or less. And I think that, you know, he's, you know, I, I think that that's really affected him. That and the fact that, they're a terrible rebounding team. I mean, you know, they get pounded on the boards pretty much every night. So, you know, no rebounds, no no playoff spot for them. I'm actually going to go with Bruce here. I'm selling the Toronto Raptors as well. Bruce, you mentioned the defense and their struggle to get stops on that end of the floor. And you look at that roster and they've got all the length and athleticism in the world and what they, they bring out there every night. And uh, just doesn't make sense. Something's not ticking right within – that core group of players, I think, as World B and I discussed on last week's episode when you were out, Bruce, I think one of those core four guys in Van Fleet, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, and Scotty Barnes, I think one might be be gone here soon. I think they need a major shakeup, and maybe that can turn their season around. Um, but I, I'm, I'm selling Toronto as of right now. I, they just can't gel and put it all together, and that's been evident all season. So, uh I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Toronto. Which of those guys would you trade? I mean, if you if you had to lose one of them, if you're Toronto, who would you let go? I'd let Van Fleet go if possible. I think obviously he's on the back end of his prime. Uh, he's got the big money, and uh, you know there's a lot of teams out there that would be very interested in 
such a talented point guard such as such as they big, big money so. and little production for that money so far that's yeah that's the problem that's what I mean yeah I'm sure Toronto would lo- would love to trade him and get a lot of money off the books there but who's going to take a guy you know when you're a three point shooter and you can't shoot the three you're he, there's really not a whole lot left for you to do Usually yeah. the Knicks take guys like that, don't they? Absolutely. He's not old enough yet. He's not old enough. He's not beat up yet. You know, give him a couple of years. He's a couple of years away from you know, being a Nick. Well, plus they have Evan Fournier, so they've got a useless three-point. Oh, we'll trade that. There's a straight-up trade. Well, let's do that. Yeah. Well, heading into the uh, fourth quarter here, we got a big weekend ahead of us here. Uh, for, let's get into our weekend preview. Bruce, I'm going to start with you. Looking at Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, what game in particular stands out? Well, I'm looking at a game that isn't a sexy matchup between two teams, but more of kind of a sexy matchup between two players. And that would be Sunday, uh, the Mavericks at the Thunder. Uh, Luka Doncic, NBA scoring leader at 34.3, uh, MVP candidate, okay, they're on the verge of losing tonight, by the way, to Boston. So you got Luca at 34.3, number one in the league, scoring against uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, number four. He he is not necessarily an MVP candidate, but he could be an MIP candidate. Uh, Dallas going into the Boston game had won seven straight. And OKC in their last nine, five and four, which is okay, including that 150-point beatdown on Boston on Tuesday night. So uh, I'm Without looking forward SGA. to a shootout between those two guards. Without SGA, they did that. I That's know, right? That was <laughs> it's unbelievable. Stupid. I mean, good God. How do you do that? Just added to the weird weird week. <laughs> yes. uh, Will B, what, uh, what game do you have your eye on? Well, for me, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at a good matchup. For me, I think is uh, the Nets and the Pelicans. Yeah. I want to see this is a good barometer test, probably for both teams. But I'm really interested in how it looks from the Nets' perspective. They've been dominating. We've talked about them uh, the last few podcasts for the last you know six weeks or whatever. They've really been something. I think they're 18 and four since Kyrie came back. Something yeah. really crazy like that. And for your guy, I think they're like 13 and two. Since TJ Warren made the court <laughs> there, so for you know that's your guy, Ross. Like that's that. And, oh yeah. That, so I'm I'm interested to see. You know, they're the Nets have been doing it mostly against the Eastern Conference. They've taken control of every you know pretty much everybody there. Nineteen and seven against the East, just six and six against the West. They lost to the Pelicans already, but that was way back in October, the season opener. It doesn't really count at this point. Um, you know the, the Top five in the West that you know in stand in win percentage, the Nets are just one in five so far against those teams. So this is a good barometer for them to see where they are. Um, obviously, without uh, Zion in the lineup, makes things easier for Brooklyn. But you know they still, you know they're coming off a loss. Let's see how they are. Are they angry after a loss? It's been a long time since uh, <laughs> since they've had one. So let's see how they react to to that. And uh, you know we've mentioned. Uh, the Pelicans in the last uh, quarter up and down and just how much I, I think they're great. And I think they're uh, a serious contender for the West. 
You know, Durant is having a remarkable season. He's averaging just under 30, 29.9, okay, which ties for his second best scoring average for a season of his career, age 34. And he is shooting from the floor 56.8%, which is by far his best field goal percentage for any individual season in his career. Remarkable, remarkable guy. Yeah, and then that uh, Brooklyn-New Orleans matchup, I'm really looking forward to seeing Herb Jones defend Kevin Durant. Herb Jones, one of the younger, more premier defenders we have in this league. should be fun to see him go toe-to-toe with KD and see if he can kind of try to disrupt that night. Absolutely. So, and we continue, and we continue. I'm sorry, Ross. And and I just want to say one more quick thing. Sure. Ben Simmons continues to really, he's become something of a Swiss Army knife for those guys. He does everything but shoot, but he's really contributing to them. And, and, uh, you know, I think we got to give him a little bit of respect. Absolutely. He's been a great addition to that team this year. Uh, there's a re- there's a reason they're in the top 10 defensively with the same lineup they have. He's a big part of it, mm-hmm. and which is why they got him, really. Mm-hmm. And so the game I'm looking at uh, to, to finish things off for the weekend, I'm looking at Cleveland visiting Denver in the high altitude. I think that should be a fun one. We've got two of the hottest players in the league and the Joker and Spida going mano y mano in that. And I'm really looking forward to those Cleveland bigs, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley being tested, trying to defend the Joker, seeing how they can maybe disrupt his uh, offensive playmaking. Not many people have success doing that, but if anyone could, it could be the Twin Towers in Cleveland. And, uh, you know, Bruce Brown, he's going to have a tough assignment, I would assume, trying to guard uh, Donovan Mitchell. So that should be a lot of fun. And then hoping Garland can come back and we'll have – the Garland and Jamal Murray uh, matchup. So lots of good matchups throughout that that game, and uh, that one should be fun. If I had to bet on it, I'm going to take Denver at home. As I mentioned on the last pod, they are really strong at home, um, but that one could come down to the wire. But you guys you know, just Denver bought always... Cleveland. You guys are buying Cleveland. We think we just <laughs> did that. You're buying Cleveland, and then you won't you won't buy them in this matchup. That's <laughs> You know, it, it, you know, Denver always has such an advantage, you know, when, when, when most teams come in, you know, the altitude and all that. But the one guy on Cleveland who, who is used to playing in the altitude is Donovan Mitchell. He spent his whole career in Utah. That's an altitude venue as well. So uh, far be it from me to encroach on Ross's gambling uh, area of expertise. But I would, I would, you know, if, if there's an over-under on Donovan Mitchell's points for that game, I might consider the over simply because altituding a bother that guy. Great point there, Bruce. And he obviously, more than anyone, knows the personnel, having just left the division with the Denver Nuggets, having been in Utah his entire career. So I, I like the over on the points too there. But that leads us very nicely into our next section here, the best bets discussion. And what I wanted to talk to our listeners about today are the top teams to bet the over and the top teams to bet the un- the under on. And we're going to start with the over. My favorite team to bet the over on is the Sacramento Kings. They are first in the West End scoring. They pretty much have two point guards on the floor at all times. And uh, their speedy point guard in De'Aaron Fox and their post big man in Demon. DeMontis Sabonis, and uh, they love to get up and down, whether Fox is in the game or Malik Monk comes in, their microwave. They have just done an exceptional job 
moving the basketball, scoring the basketball, and even competing on the defensive end, as World B has pointed out on previous podcasts. So really like Sacramento there. My second team is Bruce's guys in Boston. They lead the league in scoring. So that's obviously uh, speaks for itself there. They got that duo of uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Both of those guys can heat up at any moment. We've talked about the quarters that they like to get hot, and they shoot a ton of threes. So if you got Brogdon on, Marcus Smart's able to chip in a few, and they play that strong defense that leads to their offense, they're always a good bet uh, to, to go ahead and bet the over. As for the under, I decided to kind of spice things up here, take two playoff teams we would consider them. Uh, first one being the Miami Heat. Now, despite Miami Heat's record, the Heat are dead last in the East in scoring. And a lot of that comes back to the Miami Heat having so many game-time decisions. I'm not sure if you guys have caught their IL report, but every game it's like Jimmy Butler, game-time decision. Like All these main players are like game-time decisions for that team. So you never really know what you're going to get. And this year, it's just been a lot of inconsistent scoring uh, throughout that group, whether it be Jimmy, Harrow. Uh, about the only reliable guy is Bruce's guy, Bam Adebayo. So I would stay with the under on Miami. And uh, the other team is the Milwaukee Bucks. They're currently eighth in the East in scoring. However, as we've noted on, earlier on in this podcast, you know they haven't gotten the perimeter shooting. They've been without two of their stars in Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. And as much as I love Giannis, I'm not typically one to bet on him uh, shooting 90% from the foul line, whether he gets there 15 to 20 no times a game or not. So Bucks have not been very good uh, offensively thus far. I think they're a little overvalued when it comes to the sportsbook play for the uh, for the over. So I would take the under. So that is our best bets discussion on top teams to bet the over under. Ross knows. Listen to yeah. Ross. Put your money where <laughs> Ross tells you to put your money, people. And you too will be driving a brand new Tesla. Yeah. By the way, I told. I mentioned to you guys off the air, the team that has the best record in the overs, highest percentage of games going over of all teams, the Detroit Pistons, 60% yeah. of their games go over the total because Incredible. obviously with such an inept offense, you know, reputation, the bars, the over under total is going to usually be set pretty low and it allows for them along with their incredibly, uh, uh, struggling defense <laughs> yeah. to uh, allow you know the games to go over the total. Never would have guessed them, World B, but leave it to I you. I wouldn't to either. Go up Detroit and come up with that one. Basketball. They look good the other night now. Playing the uh, getting the win over the Warriors. I'm sure that was another game that went over the total. Yeah, on the road too. So credit to them there. Well, we are getting. Close to wrapping things up, but, you know, the 48 Minutes crew wanted to have a final thought here. Um, Bruce, I'll let you go ahead and tee us up for this one. I know it's one that uh, is important to all of us, uh, but I wanted you to kick things off for us. Thanks. You know, the whole big story in sports this week, obviously, is is the DeMar Hamlin story, uh, the Buffalo Bills safety who suffered cardiac arrest on the field on Monday night while we were actually taping this podcast Monday night. And it really kind of made me think about the fact that sometimes we look at professional athletes and we don't even recognize them as people in a lot of ways. We recognize them as performers, as athletes, as guys that are superhuman. Uh, and 
and and I think sometimes we we criticize them unfairly. Uh, obviously, your heart goes out to uh, Demar and his family, but we will casually talk about a guy maybe that's injured and say, "Ah, why can't he get out there and play?" You know, he's making all that money. Why doesn't he get out there and play? You know, I would do it for free, right? Well, you know what? It's not for us to judge. And I know for me, I'm looking at things a lot differently moving forward now. When a guy is, and you know, we all make fun of load management and all that. And load management really doesn't factor into the Damar Hamlin story. But but on another level, it's like, these are human beings, right? They're flesh and yeah. bone. They have families. And I just think that if if we learned anything this week, it's like we should have a little bit more empathy for these athletes, male and female athletes, just as human beings, um, because in a flash, it can all go away. And thank God he's been making progress. He's doing better. The news today has been very positive. So uh, just would ask anybody who's listening to us to just kind of keep that in mind next time you casually criticize a guy for maybe not playing hurt. Well said there, Bruce. Will be anything to add? Well, I think uh, Bruce said it you know, very well just now. I think we make a mistake. We all do, myself included. Of As Bruce just mentioned, they don't seem real sometimes. We watch them on TV. We've all been – we're all in the business. We've all been in the business sports-wise. We've all run into these athletes in some capacity. So maybe we have a, a little bit better understanding, but – you watch them on TV. You watch every all these athletes. Sometimes it doesn't seem real. We make the, you know we make comments, flipping as they may be, and myself included, um, about a player's performance, or we write it off. It's it's a disturbing. It was a disturbing sight, and it's been a really hard few days to really get excited about um, everything in sports. It's really been hard to get excited about everything watching sports watching thing it, it just i guess it was a reality punch for fans or it should be um and it's said that it takes something like this to do that and hopefully going forward as bruce said we'll have a the a more empathy than we uh probably display as a rule but yeah it was a horrific scene uh we also you know we're texting each other after the fact that it was we were taping, and none of us knew what had happened at the time, and it was you know it's just hard to get your head around something like that that w- could happen. So yeah, I'm hoping, as Bruce said, myself, if I do anything else, display a little more empathy in these situations down the stretch, and not make uh, a comment is fine, a funny comment, but to, you know to be the mean comment really uh, isn't necessary, I guess. Yeah, great thoughts. There will be great thoughts by the both of you. I just want to say that our thoughts and prayers are with Damar Hamlin, his family, his teammates, uh, his organization, and all his fans uh, during this difficult time. And we wish him all the best in his recovery and hope he can get back on his feet feet soon. And uh, with that, we will go ahead and close it down for the night, fellas. I want to thank everyone for listening to Episode 7 of 48 Minutes on Belief. Before leaving, please sure to like and subscribe on the podcast, and we'll be back with you next week. Have a good weekend.